0: Very much appreciate all that's gone before and ask that you continue in prayer for us what time we stand before you. I'd like to draw your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 6. And I'd like to look at some uh, verses of scripture with you there this morning. Uh, Matthew 6, the overall context of this is Jesus is in the middle of his uh, Sermon on the Mount, as it's commonly called, and he has already laid some very important uh, uh, foundational points about how we are to live, and as chapter 6 begins, he begins addressing the subject of prayer, and the opening verses of chapter 6, he, he gives a litany of things that we're not supposed to do when we pray. We're not supposed to sound a trumpet to let everybody know we're praying he says that we're not supposed to stand on the street corners like the Pharisees do to be seen of men. We're not supposed to be like the heathen, that they just repeat the same things over and over and over again, thinking they'll be heard for their much speaking. But he says, when you pray, you need to enter into your closet and do it in secret, and your Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward you openly. Now, before I get into the verses we'd like to talk about, I'd like to simply say this. Uh, prayer is a very precious thing that we have in this world. It's something that is generally undervalued, even by us. And the Bible makes it very clear that prayer is so powerful that it can take mountains and put them into the sea. It can shut up heaven that it doesn't rain. It can heal sicknesses and diseases. And there's even been times when uh, prayer blessed people to come back from the dead. And, friends, that is because prayer is our access point in our channel whereby we communicate and have communion with the one who has all power the one who has all glory and as he even says about this house that this house is going to be called of all nations the house of what prayer because whether it's in singing whether it's in preaching whether it's in uh, general assembly prayer is what binds and draws all this together because it's how we communicate with God, and it's how he comes and, and sits down and blesses us. There's been times in my life when I'm convinced that even if I didn't have the good sense to pray for myself, the reason I was blessed is because other good people were praying for me. I mean, I'm a, a product of a lot of things that I did not earn. I'm Much like the children of Israel, when they went into the land of Canaan, he said, You're going to reap in fields you didn't plant. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't sow. And friends, I've been blessed by the efforts of others through prayer and other things that have blessed me in my life in ways which in some cases I may never know how much I'm blessed. So here Jesus is giving us the, the the do's and the don'ts on prayer. But then he goes into what is commonly called his prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But it's really a model for us of how we are to pray because in verse 9 he says, After this manner pray ye. Now, he didn't mean that we had to use these words over and over again, but he said this is the manner, this is the, the method, and this is how you should approach prayer as far as what you do and how you do it. And it begins in a very interesting way. It says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, that's a very uh, seemingly simple thing because all my life, because I've been blessed with a very, a very good life to be around godly people, to be raised in a godly home, I have heard prayers all my life begun some, in some form of Dear Heavenly Father, Our Kind and Gracious Heavenly Father, Our Most High and Lifted Up Heavenly Father, something along those lines. And sometimes when you hear something often enough, you fail to stop and think about the really the uniqueness of it. You know, we are the only people who address our God as our Father. Other religions, other religions, um, uh, Types of religious assembly and worship, they don't address their God as their Father. Their God is some thing or He's some person that they worship. But friends, when you think about a God who is without beginning of days, without end of life, He has all power in His hand. He can speak, and things come to pass. And He has the power, friends, to do whatsoever pleases Him, whensoever it pleases Him to do it. That is a very great position but he's not just our god he's our father whereby he has also given us the spirit of adoption sent into our hearts whereby we cry abba father unto him friends it's 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 one of those things that whenever um, uh i i i'm gonna eventually embarrass john with this but i'll i'll embarrass myself first uh whenever i was young most of you knew my father when my father walked into a place The the most wildest rascal I went to school with would straighten up because Dad was mean looking. I mean I was scared to death of him, and I had good reason to be. He tore my backside up many 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 times, but Dad could walk in and he he wouldn't even be mad. He would just look around with that underneath that big old mustache of his, and you know I remember you know uh, guys that came over to our house to play basketball. They'd be like, your dad is scary. I said, you got that right. But, you know, my dad didn't have all power. My dad didn't have all authority. My dad didn't have all wisdom. He didn't have any of these things. And I remember uh, not long ago, I had come home from, uh, from work, and John had some classmates over, and they were the kind of classmates who kind of were a bit of a rascals as well. And I found out later, they were like, John, your dad is big and scary looking. And I'm like, well, good. Maybe it straightens some things up. Well, friends, when you think about who God is, God is the biggest, he is the, 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 the strongest that we have, and there is nothing in this world that has the ability to approach unto him, to challenge him, or to do anything to overturn what he has uh, purposed in his heart to do. And that's not just our God, that's our Father. Friends, he is not walking into a room, he's in every room we go to because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Now, if you can think about rascals in this world straightening up over a scary-looking natural man, how much more should it give us comfort to know that we're talking to a God who is our Father that has more power and has more authority than any man ever has? And he says, hallowed be thy name. Your name is awesome, it is august, and it is supreme. And because of that, friends, when we go to him in prayer, we should go expecting to find the greatest friend and the greatest help and the greatest comfort that we could ever have. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 4, in verse 16, he says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find, uh, 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 that we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I'll say this. When you consider who God is, even though he is our Father, friends, he should be approached with reverence, respect, with honor, because he is worthy of that. I remember the first time I was uh, around some, uh, they were good people, but they didn't think like we did, and I was at college, and I thought, well, you know, if I hang around the good people, that'll keep me from uh, uh, getting into trouble. I found out the good people got in as much trouble as the bad people did in college, but anyway. We were met together. They were going to have a a little prayer service on Tuesday night and allow us to uh, talk to one another, to help one another. And one of them bowed their head, and I said, okay, we're starting to pray. And she said, hey, Dad. And I thought her father walked in the room. And I opened my eyes, and I'm dummy me. I didn't know that was a thing. I was like, oh, she's talking to God. I need to get out of here before that girl gets struck by lightning. Friends, he is not someone who is worthy to be spoken of in that way. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2 and verse 20 that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Friends, he has a place of honor and a place of respect. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that fear that we should have of him is a type of respect and reverence that is deserving of one in his position. Hallowed be thy name. He's in a position of authority and respect that we reverence. And he goes on from this address of how we are speaking not only to knowing who we're speaking to, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He goes into some things about God. He says, thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. That's an expression we've probably all heard mistakenly. Friends, people talk about kingdom come like it's somewhere out in the future. When we pray to the Lord about thy kingdom come, we're not asking him to bring the future to us. Because, friends, his kingdom is not waiting to come. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is in this earth. If it wasn't, at the end of, the time, at the end of time, he would not say in 1 Corinthians 15 and 24, then come at the end, he shall have delivered up the kingdom to his father. Friends, I'm not waiting for him to come and set up a kingdom. I'm looking for the kingdom in this world that he's already set up. The, word, the expression, thy kingdom come, means that we're beseeching him to show us the fullness of what he's placed here for us. The Bible says that he, uh, or he tells Nicodemus in John 3, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But, you know, you can have the ability to see things that you haven't entered into. You have the ability to have entered into things and not gone all the way. I mean, we were joking earlier whenever we were all sitting here and Sister Michelle came in the door and we were all stopped. Nobody was saying anything. We were all just staring at her. You know, sometimes I've walked into a room and it's all quiet and they're all looking at me. I'm like, bye, and I just close the door and go away. Well, friends, there is something about the kingdom that no matter what you see... No matter what you've experienced, there's always room to press further into it. There's always room to go further than we've been before. The Bible says in uh, Luke 16, 16, that the law and the prophets were until John. And since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. That word presseth means it's not a one-time deal. It's a continual thing that we press further into it. I'm sure many of you are several weeks old into whatever resolutions you had Uh, Maybe you've already ditched some of them. Maybe you're uh, hoping to get back on the wagon with some of them. I don't know. But one of my goals every year, and it's not a resolution I set every January, it's a resolution I set every day that I want to walk closer to God coming in the future than I have in the past. I want to know more about Him in the future than I have in the past. I want to have the very best times with Him in the days to come, than I have in the days gone by. You know, it's a sad thing if somebody says, well, you know, in the old days, it was really good, and there's just no good to be had anymore. Friends, I realize that life in this country, from a spiritual perspective, generally speaking, was better 70 years ago than it is today. I understand that. I have my eyes open. I'm not a, I'm not a fool. I, I'm not, I am a fool, but not about that. Moving on. My point is this. I realize that spirituality is declining. I know that. I know that uh, religious exercise is not much set by like it once was. But friends, for us to say that the best is behind us and we cannot have times like that again is to shorten the arm of God and what he's capable of doing. Whether with many or few whether with a large assembly or not, the Lord is able to bless us in the kingdom to have the best times in the days to come better than in the days gone by. Because it's not based on how many you have. It's not based on how old you are. It's based on the fact that we have gone uh, drawn closer to God and we've assembled in a way that is pleasing unto Him and He comes down and shows us more of Himself than He ever has before. The prayer Thy kingdom come is... Bring it to me that it will be more manifest than it's ever been before. The Bible says in Romans 10 that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That doesn't mean that when I preach that your faith comes in my preaching. It means it comes out. It comes to fruition. Like when you work out and a muscle pops out or something along those lines. Friends, the Lord has blessed us with things inside. He's blessed us with the assembly of the saints. And we want those things to come out in refulgent glory. We want them to shine forth in our lives. And that's the prayer. Let it come in a manifest way. Let it come to me in a way that it never has before. That I grow closer and stronger with thee. And the petition for that is probably the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. It says, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I was, uh, <laughs> I was really blessed not only in my uh, home life growing up, but I was blessed, and most people wouldn't look at it this way, I was blessed to be in the middle of nowhere at a small school that was full of dumb people. I mean, people wonder, they say, you were the valedictorian of your high school class? Yes, because I was full of a bunch of dumb people. I was just the smartest of the dumb. That's how it was. But you know, one of the things about a rural area in the middle of nowhere is things can happen there that don't happen most places. And you know, whenever we would go out for an athletic event, whether it was football, basketball, or baseball, before every game, we would all kneel together as a team and pray. You can't you weren't supposed to do that, but we did. We weren't praying for victory. We weren't praying that the Lord would bless us to vanquish our opponents. We were asking for his protection. We were asking him to bless us to go forth with this and to be spared and to be safe. And after our head football coach, this was right there behind the goal right before we busted through the banner, right after he prayed, and we'd all be knelt down He'd lay his hand in the middle, and we were supposed to lay our hands on top of his, and he'd say, now let's all say the Lord's Prayer. And I was the only one (laughs) who said, thy will be done in earth. The rest of them said on earth. And finally, there's a uh, black guy, a really good friend of mine named Mason, and he said, how come you don't say the same thing the rest of us do? And I said, go read your Bible, and then we'll talk. And he he went home, I guess, and he came back on Monday. He goes, why are we saying it wrong? I said, because everybody else does. Friends, we're not asking Him for His will to be done on earth. We're asking for His will to be done in earth as it is in heaven. How does the kingdom come to you in a more powerful, in a more manifest way? How is it, friends, that we draw closer to Him than we ever have before? For that to happen, His will needs to be done in us as it is in heaven. That phrase, in earth, literally means in us because we are natural men. We're of the earth, earthy. And if you want to know why, I won't speak for you, but I, if you want to know why I have not experienced the fullness of things that I am capable of experiencing with God, it's because this gets in the way. It's because this hampers and this distracts and this is something that I need to crucify on a regular basis. You know, one of the worst attitudes that we can have when it comes to the Lord's kingdom is getting our way. That's one of the worst attitudes that we can have. Because what is it about the kingdom that should be paramount and should be foremost in our minds? It's not my way, it's His way. It's not what I want, it's what He desires. It's not what I choose, it's what He is pleased to bless with. Friends, there are people who have been upset by how the Lord's done things in His yes. kingdom ever since He set it up. You know, the Jews were upset in the very early days because the Gentiles got brought in. And we as Gentiles sometimes get upset when other th- The Lord blesses other things to come in. You know, I'm thankful that the Lord has set His kingdom up the way that He has because in a kingdom, there is only one that people answer to. You don't answer to me. You don't answer to Brother Sonny. In the kingdom, we all answer to the king over the kingdom. And when it comes to my exercise, when it comes to my effort in the kingdom, I should be, I should be beseeching him, Lord, thy will be done in me. As it is in heaven. Friends, how is my will going to be in heaven? It's going to be aligned with His. How is my heart going to be in heaven? Aligned with His. How is my How are my steps going to be in heaven? They're going to be aligned with His. And my prayer right now should be, let my heart, let my mind, my steps, all that I am, be aligned with Thee. Friends, there are things that I can only imagine I would have experienced by this point that I would have enjoyed at this point if I had just walked in the same way that he had walked, if I had just listened to the things that he had spoken, if I had just followed after the things that he had declared, and if I want the Lord's kingdom to be more powerful to me in the days to come, I need to align myself with him, and I should beg him, Lord, align me. With Thee, the way that I'll be aligned with Thee in heaven. I'm happy to tell you, I won't have to pray in heaven. You know why? Because I will be aligned to Him. I won't have any need. I won't have any distresses because it'll all be praise and endless glory. But right here, I need the prayers of Him, uh, prayers to Him, and the prayers of those I love to line me up close to where He is so that His kingdom would come in a manifest way and that I would have fellowship with God like I've never had it before. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Here we start with the actual petitions for the needs of the day. And friends, the Lord is still able and the Lord is still faithful to bless us today with the needs that we have today. One of my problems is I'm not asking for the needs of today. One, I'm either asking for what I Uh, messed up in yesterday, or I'm asking for the future. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Lord, please forgive me for what I did yesterday and help me to do better tomorrow. (laughs) You ever said something like that? I have. Friends, I left out where I am right now. Friends, tomorrow is tomorrow. What does the Lord say? Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And yesterday, as much as I may be sorry for what I did, I can't change it. It is It's happened. But friends, right now, today, there is a boundless storehouse in heaven. I'll just say there. And it's available. And the Lord is not unrighteous to give it unto us because he even says in uh, Malachi uh, chapter 2, about verse 8, he says, try me. The word try means prove me now and see. If I'll not open up the windows of heaven and the storehouses... And pour you out a blessing so great, you won't even be able to contain it. Do you believe, friends, that the Lord has the ability to fix the problems in this country? Just like that? I do. Do you believe He has the ability to fix the problems of the church? Just like that? I do. Do you believe He has the problems the ability to fix the problems in your life? Just like that. I do. Do you believe He has the ability to fix the problems in your own understanding, and your own feelings? Just like that. I do. Can He come into your home and fix the problems in your home in an instant? Yes, He can but friends, many times, my faith is lacking in the sense that when I go to him in prayer, I go to him not expecting anything. I go to him expecting, well, it's just going to be like it is before. I mean, I'll admit to you that there are been a long time, I guess, since I've gone into a major election cycle, really excited about what was about to happen. <clears throat> this is the closest you're ever going to get to me talking politics in the pulpit, and I'll just say this. When it's hard for me to distinguish the beliefs of one candidate from another, it's hard for me to get excited about what's about to happen. Friends, I do believe that God has the ability to turn the heart of the king as rivers of water in his hand. I believe that. I believe, friends, that the Lord has the ability to take this country out of the the darkness and the squalor that she's in spiritually and raise her back up to be a city like uh, on a hill like she was in days gone by. I believe, friends, that the church has the ability to prosper in the days to come like she has in the days gone by and better. You know why? Because it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon God and His ability, which is never lacking. But many times what the Lord is looking for, He's not finding. You know what the Lord is looking for right now at this moment? The Bible tells us. Uh, John 4 and verse 23 says, The Father is seeking those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I hope He finds it here because that's what we've come to do. But friends, He's looking for that. And when He doesn't find it, you know what He does? He goes on somewhere else. Well friends, the Bible says in Jeremiah, in verse eight, uh, chapter 18 as Jeremiah has been watching this potter work a work on the wheels, the Lord says about that clay that marred in the hand of the potter and he fashioned it again another vessel as it seemed good unto the potter to do it. He says later in that lesson, he says, At what instant I choose to bless a nation and that nation turn from me, he says, then I will turn from the blessing that I would thought to do unto that nation. He said, and at what instant that nation who I have purposed to curse and to judge, turn from their wickedness, he said, then when I will turn from the evil that I have purposed to bring against that nation. Do you believe that if at this instant this nation starts to turn, that the Lord will turn and do good and do righteousness unto it? I believe that he will. And friends, I'm happy to tell you he's been far better to us in mercy than we deserve for a very, very long time. But having said that, allow me to say this. My daily bread does not come from H E B. My daily bread does not come from Kroger, it doesn't come from Walmart, or I don't think y'all have Publix out here, I used to use Publix as an example in Georgia, but wherever you choose, that's not where your daily bread comes from. That may be an outlet for it, but friends, our daily bread comes from God Himself. The ability to get out of bed in the morning and the strength to carry on comes from God because in Him we live and we move and we have our being And friends, I need to understand that what happens today, I need him for right now. A lot of times we think about needing him as preachers when we preach. I need him getting ready to preach. We think about needing him when something big is happening in our life. Friends, he's also the God of small things as well, because we need him for the little things in life. You know, there was a... a, I'm about to say something that's going to sound strange. There was a little thing that affected us for several years in this country, really all over the world. You say, well, I didn't really think it was a little thing. It was. It was a virus. You couldn't see it. That's a really little thing. Look what a little thing did. Look at the effect that it had. You know what's another little thing that can do big things? That. The Bible says, behold, what a great fire a little member kindleth. There are little things that produce big effects and friends prayer may seem like a really little thing but it produces big effects in this world one man prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years that same man prayed again and it rained you say well elijah was a a really good man he was but he was also a man of like passions as we are he had the same problems that we do and, friends, if a man who has the same feelings that I do, and the same passions that I do, and the same problems that I do, who can have the same despairs and sorrows and, and doubts and fears, can do that, why would my prayers not be able to do the same thing? This is going to be a really easy point to make because we, uh, we don't have it in the songbook here. Out east, there's a song that people love in their songbooks. I've never liked this song, and the song mostly is okay, but the opening line is terrible. The opening line is, I know that I cannot pray, just like old Daniel. And my mother, from the very moment that we learned that song, she goes, why not? (laughs) She goes, why can't you? And people say, well, Sister Debbie, he he was a prophet. She goes, he went to the same God, and he went to the same intercessor and mediator that you do. And friends, I can pray like Daniel. I can pray like Paul. I can pray like David. you know why? Because it's going to the same source, to the same channel, and it's not based on what I say. It's based on their power and their authority to bless. When we come to Him, if all we can say is, Lord, help. If all we can say is, Lord, save me. Friends, our Lord and Savior stands at His Father's right hand and brings that offering and He cleans it up and He presents it to His Father as an offering well-pleasing in His sight. The Bible describes the prayers of the saints in the book of Revelation. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's all right. I guess it doesn't truly matter when you get to a point. But in Revelation chapter 5, when John looks up into the heavenly portal, he sees the heavenly host. He sees the angels and the cherubims and the seraphims. He sees the four and twenty elders. He sees the four beasts. But most of all, he sees the lamb in the middle of the throne. And there at the lamb's feet, around his throne, are golden vials or golden pots full of precious odors and it tells us specifically that those prayers are, or those vials are full of the prayers of the saints, that your prayers, weak though they may seem, as insignificant as they may feel, when you don't have the words to say, when sometimes all you can do is groan in your spirit because you don't even know how to ask or what to ask for. You remember this on those days when you wonder if that even made a difference, that somewhere in heaven God is picking a pot up from beneath his throne, he's pulling the top off of that pot, and that aroma fills his nostrils, and the cloud of it surrounds the throne, because your prayer is precious in his sight. It means something to him, and we come to him asking for our daily bread. Friends, he has the ability and the will and the power today to bless us with those things that we stand in need of today. My problem has not been in him and the blessing. My problem has been me and the asking because as he will go on later to say in Matthew 7 he says seek and you shall find uh, 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 seek and you shall find knock or ask and you shall receive seek and you shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you because friends while I may not give my children everything they want I can tell you this when my children need something I'm interested in what they're telling me And if me, as a weak natural man, has that interest in my children, how much more our Heavenly Father in the interest of His children here in this world. Give us this day our daily bread. The next phrase is one that I have prayed. And I confess to you, the longer I live, the more I need to pray it, and the more I'm scared to pray it. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There was a, a man, I may have mentioned him here before, I'm not sure, and he was the chaplain at Mississippi State. Now, he, he wasn't a, a Catholic. He, I forget what his uh, uh, particular flavor was, but he was basically there as counselor help for anybody who needed help. And I didn't really go to him in the, in the chapel to talk with him, but apparently our lunch periods aligned most of the time, and so I'd be walking across the square to the student union to eat lunch, and he would be there. And so I'd pull up a chair and we'd talk. Now, we never we never agreed on doctrine, ever. I tried. I mean, I, he said, you know, election, it's it sounds good and bad at the same time. And I said, that's because we're men and we're thinking about it wrong. And I, I, I thought I was close one day, and he, and he just kind of fell off the cliff. But he's a very good man, and he actually gave me a lot of really good points, and here's one of them. He was... He was waiting for me to pray for my lunch. And when I got done, he said, when's the last time you looked at the Lord's Prayer? And I didn't correct him. I just said, oh, I'm not sure. And he said, do you ever use that expression, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? And I said, I have. He said, are you scared to do so? And I said, well, I haven't. I was 20 years old. I was an idiot. And I said, bigger than I am now. And I said, well, am I supposed to be scared? He goes, I'm scared every time those words come out of my mouth. He said, and here's why. What that phrase means when you say it is, Lord, treat me the way I'm treating everybody else. When he laid that one on me, that became a scary thing for me to pray. Lord, treat me the way I treat everybody else. But you know, if if you truly believe in the God that we believe in, and you believe in him the way that we believe in him, what ought it to be? It ought to be that primitive Baptists are the most gracious, merciful, kind people in the world. Why? Because we preach the most gracious, kind, and merciful God of anybody else. Primitive Baptists ought to be the happiest people in all the world. Why? Because I can tell you this, our God is not unhappy. I mean, He has moments where His indignation comes forth, but friends, He's not unhappy about what has happened. Now, I realize He has a righteous uh, and holy hatred towards sin... But friends, when it comes to his people, that's been taken care of. Do you think God is unhappy right now about the position that his children are in? No, his children are in a good position in Christ Jesus, and their home is secure with him. The Bible says in Psalm 127, and verse 3, it says, children are in heritage of the Lord. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. Friends, our Lord's quiver is full of his children, and he's happy about that. Our Lord is not unhappy about how the situation is with his children because we have a good position with him. So we ought to be the happiest people in the world. We ought to be the most joyful people in the world. We ought to be the most thankful, giving people in the world. Why? Because we believe in a God that is all these things and more. And we're asking God to treat us the way we've treated others. If I believe, the Lord has had grace on me when I was undeserving. And if I believe, friends that the Lord went to Calvary joyfully and willingly for me, then I should not be unhappy when I have to go through fires in this world. Because, friend, every fire that I could not bear, He bore for me. Every struggle that I could not carry, He carried for me. Every labor that I was not worthy or capable of bearing, He took off the table. And the things that I have to bear now compared to that, are easy and light. And I still don't bear him alone because He steps in the yoke with me and He bears them with me all down through my life. And because of that, friends, I cannot truly say that I've ever been alone. I cannot truly say that I've ever been forsaken. I can't truly say that everything, that I've gone through anything that was more than I could bear. I cannot say that. I've said it at times. But friends, I was wrong because He will not lay upon us any burden that's greater than we can bear He's not unfaithful, friends. He's a faithful God. And through every situation that we face, there's a way to escape. There's a way to endure that temptation. There's a way to get through it in a good and a right fashion. And because of that, I should never have the position, well, I'm not going to do for you. I'm not going to help you. I'm unhappy about things that are with me. The Lord actually tells a parable at the end of Luke 7, Right after a a woman has come into the house where he's been eating, a Pharisee, and she washes his feet and dries them with her hair. And the Pharisee, whose name is Simon, goes, Well, this man obviously isn't what I thought he was. I thought he was a prophet. And if he were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was. So then the Lord speaks to him and says, Simon, there were two people, they were both debtors. One owed 50 pence and one owed 500 And when they both had nothing to pay, the Lord of those two men, frankly, forgave them both. Which of them said he will love him the most? And he said, well, I suppose he to whom he forgave the most. He said, thou hast rightly judged. You see this woman? She has a lot of sins, yes. But she's done for me what you haven't. She gave me water for my feet. You did not. She washed my feet. You did not. She took care of me in ways that you did not. And her sins, being many, are forgiven because she hath loved much. Friends, it's not a question of whether you owe $5, $50, $500 or $5 million. If you if your bank account says 0, it doesn't matter. And friends, you may say, "Well, so and so's a bigger sinner than I am. So and so has more problems than I do." Before God, we had nothing to pay. Before God, we were bankrupt. And as such, I should not look at others and say, well, they don't deserve. Or look at others and say, well, I shouldn't help. Or look at others and say, well, if you, if you do this, I would help you. Friends, the Lord didn't do any of that for us. And if I do that for others, why would I be asking for the Lord to do that to me and still be looking for grace and mercy? If I believe in grace and mercy, and I believe that He's done for me these things, I should treat others the way that the Lord has treated me and then beg the Lord to forgive me the way I've forgiven my fellow man. To treat others the way that I've treated them. Friends, there is no room. And I don't know what's going on in your life. This is going on in mine. There's no room in our heart for any kind of bitterness over anything that's happened. There's no room in our heart to say, I should have had to face that. That was so unfair. Friends, if there's anybody that walked this earth that had an unfair situation, that was Christ. Christ. But he endured a great contradiction of sinners against himself. And he did it willingly and joyfully. And as such, I should be willing and joyful in anything that I have to face. I have not been. I stand before you as a man who has failed in this. And every time I open my mouth, I have to wonder if I ask the Lord to treat me the way I have treated others. How have I treated others in my life? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then that dear chaplain at Mississippi State. He helped me with the very next phrase that made the second one look a whole lot less scary. Or the first one look a whole lot less scary. He said, what about that next one? And lead us not into temptation. And at this point, I was so shaken. I was so shattered. I didn't know what to say. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And he goes, let me ask you this. Does the Lord tempt us? I said, not with evil. He goes, that's exactly right. He never tempts us to sin. But the Bible does say he tempts us in the, in the fact that he tests us. You know, He tempted Abraham in Genesis 22. He tested Abraham's faith. He said, while we may be too scared to ask him to treat us the way we treat other people, he said, this one has a lot of hope in it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are tests and there are trials that I don't think, uh, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think you can actually learn certain things without having gone through them. I mentioned at Providence that no matter what anybody told me about being a husband, no matter what I saw other people do as husbands, nothing prepares you internally until that day you are one. You know, I saw how my parents were with us, I saw how other parents were with their children, but nothing prepares you until you actually have a child. That's an experience that you really can't, you know, duplicate or emulate in some other way. You have to have lived it to understand it. But there's a lot of experiences in life we don't have to have. There's a lot of things we don't have to go through. You ever heard this uh, statement, experience is the best teacher? If you have, throw it out. Don't use it anymore. Experience is not the best teacher. Experience is one of the most effective teachers, but it ain't the best. You know what the best teacher is? This right here. Because the scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it's profitable for everything. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that what? The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I don't have to become an adulterer to learn how bad adultery is. I don't need that experience. I don't have to learn that being a murderer is not in my best interest. I can learn that without the experience. I don't have to learn that the love of money is the root of all evil, I, through experience, I can know that. Why? Because the Word of God has told us these things. And when we pray to God, we say, lead us not in temptation, we're literally asking Him for this. And many thanks to that chaplain at Mississippi State for helping me with this. He said, we're asking the Lord, Lord, help me learn the lesson without having to go through it. Help me learn what I need to learn without ever having to have that trial that experience friends there are scars we don't have to have in this world there are injuries and pains we don't have to go through now some we will but friends we can learn the lesson of the Lord being faithful in our life without having to go through that we can learn about the Lord's goodness and mercy to his children without having to go through that and I can learn about the Lord and his blessings unto me in my life without having to hit bottom and go into the, the the tank before I realize how good he is Friends, Jeremiah said this about the Lord in a very low moment in Lamentations chapter 3 that His mercies are new every morning. That means every morning you wake up, you don't have to hit bottom to realize that His mercies are new, they're there. His faithfulness is great. You don't have to get to the lowest of the low to find that out. And our prayer should be, Lord, help me learn, help me grow, help me understand better than I ever have. And I don't need the pains of life to prove it. Why? Because he's given me all that I need to learn what I need to learn for all the days of my life. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver me from those perilous things and those problematic things in this world. Now I'll say this, just like I don't always tell my children yes, the Lord doesn't always tell us yes. You know, there was a, a sense in which... Jeremiah, as he wrote those words about his mercy being new every morning and his faithfulness being great, Jeremiah had lived through the very same problems that everybody else had, and he hadn't done anything wrong. Have you ever thought about that? Jeremiah actually told the king, don't do this. He told the ch- children of Israel, turn away from this. And when the trouble came, he lived through it just like everybody else. There's another man who lived during the same period who hadn't done anything wrong. That man's name was Ezekiel, but he ended up not where Jeremiah was. He ended up down in the... the on the chain gang, if you will. He was down in the slave labor camps in Babylon. Hadn't done anything wrong. Daniel, who was just a little boy at the time, he hadn't done anything wrong. He ended up in the king's house, but he still had to go through his trials of being a captive, of being a slave. And friends, we may have to go through some bondage. We may have to go through some hard times in this world. But you know what I find? I find that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel weren't necessarily learning through their situation they were taking what they were already knew to help others in that situation. Sometimes we go through fires not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. I've seen dear friends of mine stand tall when I didn't. We were all faced a very difficult situation. <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and talk about it. If this is too much, y'all please forgive me. When I was 21 years old, a very good friend of mine put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. And I did not handle that very well. I went to the funeral home and I saw that his father was already dead and his mother was sitting there. He was her only child. I saw his fiancee sitting there and all the life that they had in front of them was all, was all gone. And I left the funeral home and I was mad at Justin. I was angry that what he had done. I couldn't believe that this had happened. I looked at all the misery that he'd left. And as a 21-year-old boy, I asked God, why would this happen? How could you let this happen? It was not my finest moment. And three friends of mine, came to me and they reminded me of something that I should have already known they said this should have never happened he should have never done it but it has not changed what's the most important thing and they said yes Justin is in heaven we believe that and though he is gone the Lord has still got his family secure And friends, he was with Justin's mother and he was with Justin's fiance. I saw it in the days that followed. I was mad. I was upset. I was bitter. And in that situation, my friends had not learned that. They already knew that and they picked me up and blessed me to learn something I should have already known. I did know it. I just forgot it. Friends, when I go through a trial now, I remember that situation of what I don't need to do again. I have the scars of things that I shouldn't have to learn again. But I didn't have to have that scar to learn that lesson. My friends didn't get scars in that situation. They already knew the lesson. And sometimes when you go through fires, it may not be for you to learn a lesson. It may be to help others remember a lesson and do better than they've done before. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen. In whatever you pray, in whatever manner you pray, in whatever you pray for, never forget that it is not in vain because it's one to Him. Be power and glory forever. Amen. I don't, I don't know how much time this is going to take, but if you'll bear with me, I want to go through three or four things very quickly of where prayer is found. There was a man who ruled over the nation of Judah, a very righteous king. One of the three most righteous they ever had. And the Lord sent a prophet to that man and said, get your house in order. You're going to die. That man's name was Hezekiah. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed that the Lord would spare his life Before the prophet was even out of the house, the Lord turns the prophet back around and says, I have a new message for him. You tell him, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Let me ask you a question. How much problems did Hezekiah have for the next 15 years? A lot. How many sins did Hezekiah commit over the next 15 years? A lot. Some are even recorded for us. But the Lord in his grace said, you prayed for it, you desire it, and I'm pleased to give it to you. What would have happened if Hezekiah had not prayed? He would have died. The Lord said he would have. But prayer turned death into life. And the Lord was pleased to do that knowing that Hezekiah would commit more sin, knowing problems were going to arise that he was going to have to live through. You know, I I learned a long time ago, dying young is not one of the worst things in this world. I've seen things worse than death as people live a long time in this world. Those Bible say in Isaiah 57 uh, the righteous perisheth and none layeth it to heart, no man considering that good men are taken from the evil that is to come. It's a blessing to leave this world. But the Lord does answer prayer and he heals the sick and he raises the dead according to the power of prayer. And Hezekiah would not have lived had he not prayed. There's another occasion where a man did the very opposite thing the Lord told him to do. The Lord said, I want you to go up on the mountain in the sight of all the people. I want you to take your staff and I want you to speak to a rock. And you know what happened? Moses went up there and he hid it instead. And the Lord said, because of this, you're going to die. Very same message that Hezekiah got. You're going to die. And Moses several times prayed, Lord spare my life let me go in to canaan's land and the lord finally told him you need to stop praying for this stop asking me to change my mind over what i've declared but because of your steadfastness and your faithfulness i'm going to bless you to be able to see it before you die and he took him up on a mountain and showed him all the land of canaan before he died in Luke chapter 7 there was a funeral that happened a funeral that took place and this man was the only son of a woman who was a widow it was all she had left and i'm sure there had been a lot of prayer both before that day during that day and there would have been after that day and Jesus stops the procession he puts his hand on the coffin he says, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he arose and he restored him unto his mother. Those three situations all have a lot of commonality. There's death involved. Sometimes death is prevented. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes it's overturned. And in each case, the Lord did right. Every time. I don't always know what the right answer is. But that shows that he has the power to prevent it. He has the power to overturn it. And sometimes it's will to suffer it to happen, as in Moses' case. Friends, whatever you pray for, you remember. To him be the power and the glory forever, and it's according to his good pleasure and his good will. You know why sometimes we don't give children everything they want? Because we can see things better than they can I can see where something might lead. I can see where something might go. I mean, people that, yes, we're, we're vehicle shopping for John right now, but you're not. this is what you're not going to see. You're not going to see him drive up in some brand spanking new anything. Okay? There's a wonderful family in Georgia. I was their pastor, and when their son turned 16, they brought him a brand spanking new red crew cab Silverado, and I said, have y'all lost your mind? I couldn't even keep my tongue in. I'm like, have, have you gone nuts? He goes, well, we wanted to get him something that would last a long time. He put it in a ditch about four weeks later. I said, that's why you don't get him brand spanking new anythings. John is going to get a beater. Now, Dad's going to check it out. It's going to be reliable. It's going to be dependable. But if he puts a scratch, a dent, if he turns it over, it's not going to be a big loss to my pocketbook. Y'all understand what I'm trying to say. You know? All right? So my point is, I can see things that my children can't always see. I put my first truck in the ditch four weeks, no, sorry, six weeks after I got it. I was through there not long ago, and I said, that's where Daddy had his first wreck, right there. Turned it over, right there in the ditch. I'm going to tell you something, friends. No matter what I see, my father sees more than I see. He can see where things are. He can see where things lead. And sometimes when he tells us no, it's because he sees something that we don't. And sometimes when he sees something that we don't, through our prayer, he blesses us to come up a little higher where he is to see it. Friends, he blessed Hezekiah to see some things he wouldn't have seen. Yes, he sinned over the next 15 years, but Hezekiah also saw some things over the next 15 years that he would have never seen. And sometimes, friends, the Lord shows up in the darkest of moments, in the most trying of times, and says, You think this is forever? Watch this. And he turns it over, and he overthrows it. Friends, he has the power to do whatsoever pleases him. He has the authority to do whatsoever pleases him. And to him be the glory in all things that he does. My prayers don't always go the way I want. I don't always get the things that I think I stand in need of. But if I look back over my life, I can always say this. In whatever season I was in, the Lord did right. And he always will. Friends, may we not be negligent to pray unto him. And may our prayers be unto him in ferventness and expectation. That he still has the same power to own and to bless today as he ever has. And may we be found faithful to him in this, and to him be the glory, the praise, and the honor forever. Amen. The Lord should bless you as my breath. We're going to stand together, sing a song in conclusion. (coughs) There's one more here that would like to join the church this day. Please come and we'll stand together and sing, what's your number, brethren?